Hey guys, I'm Chastity, and you're listening to the Ancient Conspiracies Podcast, where we connect the origins of some of the most popular conspiracy theories to biblical history. Hey guys, I wanted to cover some headlines today. So there's a lot of things happening in the news and there's a lot of things happening on a daily basis. And I have a feeling that as we go forward, there's going to be a lot of things happening on a consistent basis. So I won't always be able to come on with headlines, but there are two that stuck out to me recently. And in the meantime, you can always join my Facebook page, Ancient Conspiracies and End Time Headlines. Um, I always uh, include a link of it into the description of my weekly podcast. So you can click on that, join the page, and we post things continually and on a daily basis there. But there's a couple of things that I wanted to cover today that were pretty significant in my opinion. Um, One was about the red heifers, and the other was about this Nefertiti, the wife of King Akhenaten. So I'm going to start with Nefertiti. So if you aren't familiar, all of the Egyptian pharaohs throughout history had the suffix Amun, like Tutankhamun. Um, Amun was the Egyptian god of the air, and he was later became known as Amun-Ra, Ra being the sun god. So the Egyptians, as we know, were very polytheistic, and then along comes Akhenaten. And he was the main and well-known pharaoh throughout all of Egyptian history that changed the Egyptians over from a pantheon to a single god. He solely worshipped this sun god. And I've said in previous uh, posts that I always think of this play on the sun god, the son of God. And maybe he was in the time frame where he was getting these things confused because there is a suspicion that Akhenaten may have been around uh, during the time of Moses, which is why I always kind of do that connection. Um, we're told after his death, uh, it was very he was very hated for changing everyone over to a single sun god from the Egyptian pantheon, which were known for history. He was so hated that all of his monuments were dismantled and his statues were all defaced, and his name was completely removed from the Egyptian king list. And it's even believed that his sarcophagus may have been hidden in the tomb of his son, King Tut, for protection. So here's a couple of interesting things throughout history that reference King Akhenaten. So there's a play that was written in January uh, 26th of 1909, written by Joseph Lyndon Smith, that tells the story of a curse placed on the pharaoh Akhenaten by the priests of Amun. Now, according to the curse, Akhenaten would not be able to travel to the other world, to the underworld, but he would be doomed to walk the earth as a ghost. Now, if you remember in our earlier podcasts, uh, the beginning of the Book of Enoch, the intro of the Book of Enoch, and those kind of things, this was the exact curse that was placed on the fallen angels and the Nephilim by God in the Book of Enoch. So I find it very interesting that in 1909, this play was written, and it talked about this curse that was placed on Akhenaten, who would be doomed to roam the earth as basically an evil spirit. Uh, Very fascinating. Now, if you remember, King Akhenaten was usurped by his son, King Tut, and King Tut died at 19, and this would have probably been a, um, a problem for the tomb makers. And we're told by archaeologists that his middle sarcophagus stands apart from the other two. So it appears as though King Tut's name was written over the top of another name on the cartouche, Anka Perura. 
Now, every king in Egypt was given a throne with a name that differed from their birth name, and it's believed that Ankaparura may have been the birth name of Prince Thutmose, who was allegedly the older brother of Akhenaten and was supposed to rule but never got to. Now, what's interesting here is in Sigmund Freud in 1939 was the first to suggest that monotheism began with Akhenaten and his brother Thutmose, and Thutmose could in fact be the historical Moses. So Thutmose may be a play off of Moses. And if you remember, Moses grew up Egyptian. So this, if the timeline lines up, could very well be that Thutmose was translated uh, from the name Moses. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever watched the show Ancient Aliens. I'm fascinated by this, but I always look at it from a biblical perspective. Obviously, Ancient Aliens has um, a show to make and entertainment to be had, and they need the money to come in. So they're always looking at it from a perspective of these alien creators. I always watch these Ancient Aliens episodes uh, from a perspective of God having created them, not them being the gods that created us. To me, that always comes across as the stories that we heard in the book of Enoch, where these angels exalted themselves to be the gods of old. So I always think that's going to be the great deception is when these uh, fallen angels return again, and again, tell everyone we're your creators. So I always look at ancient aliens from that perspective. But there was a very interesting episode of ancient aliens where they compare uh, King Thutmose or Prince Thutmose, Akhenaten's uh, believed brother to be the historical Moses. And what's interesting in this episode is that when they opened King Tut's tomb, they came upon an unusual shrine guarding the entrance of the treasury room. And it was a wooden chest covered in gold leaf topped with the statue of a jackal, the Egyptian god Anubis. And it's undeniably similar to the Israelite Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was constructed of acacia wood overlaid in gold and topped with two cherubs. So the question posed in this episode was why would Moses lead the Israelites out of Egypt and immediately have them build a replica of the item found in King Tut's tomb? Now, I would uh, argue that maybe uh, King Akhenaten was mimicking Moses, that he was following Moses. And if you remember the time of Moses, the plagues of Egypt, um, if they were in any way influenced, it would make a whole lot more sense for King Akhenaten to be mimicking the God of Moses than Moses to actually be absorbing something from Akhenaten. I truly believe that if this is true, which they do believe, archaeologists believe, that there is this very unique um, similarity in this uh, wooden chest found in the tomb of King Tut to the Ark of the Covenant, I would assume if they were in the same time frame that it was more likely uh, this was copied by Akhenaten or the Egyptians from the God of Moses, because obviously the God of Moses showed up and showed out <laughs> during the plagues of Egypt, and we all knew who the real God was at that point. So that makes more sense to me. Um, and it says that there are actually numerous depictions on the temple walls uh, throughout Egypt that 
reference a device that resembles this Ark of the Covenant. In fact, at the temples of Seti in Abydos, um, in the Osiris Chapel, there is a depiction on the wall of the single most powerful relic in what was believed to be all of human history, and it was called the Osiris device, and it functioned as a stairway to heaven. Again, so this Osiris device may have actually been in connection with this wooden chest, and it could be a play off of the Ark of the Covenant. So I just found that interesting, and it makes you wonder if Moses's influence affected King Akhenaten, again, if these timelines line up um, to uh, do this kind of mimicking of the Hebrews and their only God, their access to God who came down in this flame of fire by day and this pillar of smoke by night and um, and how he might have tried to replicate that in his own way with the Ark of the Covenant. Of course, his was something different. So um, I said all that to say King Akhenaten was the husband of Queen Nefertiti. And Nefertiti, her body has recently been believed to have been discovered. Um, it's said that in the Valley of the Kings, there were two mummies, two women, uh, which were possibly the remains of Nefertiti and Ankin Samun, which was the wife of King Tut, which would have been Nefertiti's and Akhenaten's son. So her, Nefertiti, and her daughter-in-law, um, these two bodies could have been found. Now, CT scans um, could be used to replicate the facial features of these queens, and uh, these were two of the most important and revered queens throughout Egyptian history. So uh, if their DNA is confirmed, um, it could confirm their identities, and they could be said to be, quote, brought back to life. I thought that was very interesting that these um, two really famous women, uh, one of which being tied, well, two of which, both of which being tied to the two most famous uh, Egyptian uh, kings, one was Akhenaten for a very bad reason, and one was King Tut. Uh, he's very well known, and I remember traveling to Dallas many years ago, I don't know, probably 10 years ago, and actually going to the King Tut exhibit. It had come through Dallas, Texas, and I was, uh, I got to see it, and I wish I'd have known then what I know now, because I would have been looking for different things. So anyhow, I just thought that was interesting. Uh, on to the red heifers. Now, the red heifers, uh, I had to do some research on this because I know it's a big deal, but I didn't realize how big of a deal it was for today. So for those of you that don't know, the second temple was destroyed in 70 AD uh, by the Romans, and it was about 40 years after Christ died. And the Western Wall in Jerusalem is all that remains of that temple, and that happened about 1,950 years ago, almost 2,000 years ago. So in 1948, the Jews were once again recognized as a nation. And this was prophesied in the book of Isaiah. And since then, they've been slowly returning from all over the world back to Israel. And since 1967, there's actually been a heavy movement in Israel to rebuild the temple again and make the third temple. Uh, of course, the main obstacle with building the temple is the Dome of the Rock, which is currently occupying the Temple Mount. But up to this point, they've already trained 500 young Jewish men, all proven to be from the line of Levi. Remember, that was the priestly line of the tribes of Israel. Um, and they've already trained these 500 young men to be the priests in the new temple. 
Now, here's some interesting things. I went through the Facebook page and just typed in a search for the word temple on our page. And of course, my page has been up for several years or a few years now. And so there was article after article that has been shared by me and others on our page, all about the things that have happened in just the last couple of years with regards to the temple. And I want to share some of these with you because it's really quite incredible. So in 2020, the Sanhedrin petitioned the government to blow the shofar on the Temple Mount for the Feast of Trumpets, which would have been the first time since the temple was destroyed. Now, I never heard if this came to pass, and I assume it was denied um, because I would have also assumed they would have made a big hoopla about it if if this event had have taken place. But the most powerful thing is they actually petitioned the government to do this uh, because they are not allowed on the temple. They're not recognized um, like the Muslims are to be on the Temple Mount. So in August 2020, an ancient species of grapes that were used over 3,000 years ago in the temple were found again in Hebron. Uh, the wine made from these grapes was actually used in the original temple services, and it was made from these grapes which no longer existed until a farm near a farmer near the ancient city of Hebron uh, recreated this species of grapes uh, with the intent for them to be used in the future third temple. So these grapes for the wine that were used in the temple have made a comeback just in August 2020. Now in February 2020. A rare rainbow appears over the Temple Mount. Now, there wasn't much significance to this other than the fact that it was over the Temple Mount. What are rainbows uh, significant of? You know, for the Jews, it was significant of the covenant, the promise. And of course, if it's over the Temple Mount, that's immediately what they assume to be the Temple is coming back. And then later in the year, in October 2021, there was an unprecedented decision uh, that was reached by the Israeli court to allow the Jews to actually pray on the Temple Mount. Like I said before, they weren't really allowed on there because it's really more Muslim controlled. But in October 2021, the courts actually allowed the Jews to pray on the Temple Mount. And the following month in November, the rabbis started convening with the protection of the Israeli police on the Temple Mount, and they began to implement biblical law. Now, what this means is they were basically just discussing the Jewish laws and how things would fall into place in a future temple, um, in a place that really hasn't been allowed for them to do this in over or almost 2,000 years. So then the following month, we went October, November, now December of 2021, an article came out that after 1,600 years, the source of a very rare blue dye, which is specifically mandated for use in every Jewish male's garments, which comes from this murex snail, had been found. Now, this color was highly prized by the ancient Mediterranean civilizations, and it was mentioned 49 times in the Hebrew Bible. It was used in the clothing of the high priest and in the tapestries of the tabernacle, and it's also used in ritual fringes worn by many Jewish males. Now, earlier this year, now we're into 2022, 
Knesset member Itamar Ben-Gavir, one of the governmental leaders in Israel, entered the Temple Mount on Israel's 74th Independence Day and announced that the time has come to build a Jewish synagogue on the Temple Mount. This was hugely significant, especially on their Independence Day. And then later this year in April, right around the time of Passover, a Palestinian terrorist attacked three young Jews and murdered them right in uh, on Passover. And I I shared an article in our group that the Palestinian terrorists are actually starting to become more scared at how serious the Jews are becoming about restoring the temple. And the article mentioned that uh, if there's bloodshed on Passover, the temple is shortly to come thereafter. Now, I couldn't find that in scripture, may have been in some Jewish religious texts, um, but I just found that fascinating that when there's bloodshed on Passover, they believed that the temple would shortly follow. So now we're on to the red heifers. Now, the red heifers were mentioned also in 2020, um, but obviously there was a new article that just came out about them within the last week. And the significance of these red heifers is that they are required for the ritual sacrifice of purification uh, in the temple. And what that means is these red heifers, they're not allowed no more than two uh, hairs on their body that are a different color other than red. Otherwise, they're disqualified. They're not allowed any blemish otherwise they're disqualified and they're not allowed to be over a certain age they have to be in a certain age range or they're disqualified so there's very very strict regulations placed on what qualifies as a red heifer used uh, for ritual purification sacrifice and so for this reason they've not been able to find one of these and then there weren't red heifers well all of a sudden there was a farmer here in texas um who decided he could make one for them. And so he started breeding these red heifers. Now, the problem is here in the United States, the government comes out and every cow that's born has to be tagged in their ear. And this tag would become a blemish and this blemish would disqualify them for use in the temple, in the ceremony. Uh, the, the deal was in 2020, the government officials stopped making their rounds because everyone was in quarantine. And therefore, these red heifers that were born in 2020 were never tagged. And so they, at this point in time, qualify. And there were five of them that were born. There were five of them that were shipped uh, or flown uh, over to Israel and uh, they landed and there was a big ceremony done at the airport and they are going to be monitoring these. I'm sure they have Jewish rabbis whose job it is to take a magnifying glass and literally check every hair on the red heifer um, to make sure. So for those of you that are unfamiliar, this red heifer was used in the purification ceremony for uh, touching a human corpse. So basically anyone who had touched a human corpse, uh, it would purify them by mixing the ashes from the burnt heifer uh, with sanctified water basically and they would sprinkle this on them a couple different times and this would purify them and make them clean now today because they have not observed this ceremony for thousands of years all modern jews are assumed to be impure and while this doesn't affect their everyday life everyone with this type of impurity is forbidden from entering the temple including the priests so 
They need this perfect red heifer to sacrifice and perform this ceremony in order to conduct the services required in the future temple. So before the reestablishment of the temple can even begin, they need to be purified or else everything is tainted. So basically, until this red heifer is found, nothing can move forward on rebuilding the temple, which makes these discovery of these red heifers and all the timeline falling in where they haven't been blemished um, very significant in this rebuilding of the second temple. And the temple is important because the Jews believe that when they build the temple, it will bring light back to the world, their Messiah. And it will also unite all of the world together as one, which is exactly what we see happen when the Antichrist arrives on the scene. He's supposed to unite the world, promote a one world government and bring peace, possibly the peace treaty that brings both the Muslims and Jews together enough for them to agree that the the temple needs to be built on the Temple Mount where the Muslims currently reside. And then he's going to exalt himself, desecrate the temple, break the peace treaty, and then he wages war on the saints. So it's just very interesting. These red heifers is one of the last kind of steps they have already been preparing. I read an article earlier that they already have the golden menorah, uh, which has been crafted along with the Levitical musical instruments, such as the silver trumpets, the lyres, the harps to worship the Lord, just like King David did 3,000 years ago. And as I said before, the temple institutes school is already training certified DNA tested uh, priests from the line of Levi. So really the last thing to be done is get the land. And that's all we're kind of waiting for, especially if they get these red heifers. They were able to perform the purification ceremonies. They're ready to go forward. They just need the land to start building. So I just wanted to come on and share that with you guys. I just found it very interesting. Those are two of the big news um, that kind of pertains to this podcast. Um, of course, there's many other things going on in the news. And if you're interested in following more and getting daily updates with um, news articles and staying up to date with the headlines, feel free to join my Facebook page. It's actually a group and it is called Ancient Conspiracies and End Time Headlines. I hope you guys enjoyed and we'll see you next week.